Amanda, remember that time America's most beloved children's author was actively anti-fascist? Remember That Time and Historical Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb. And this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all of their favorite moments in history. And today, we are stressed. Yes, that is <laughs> accurate. Uh, at time of recording, my friends, uh, it is currently two days after the polls closed for the American presidential election. And we don't yet have official results for the winner. So, you know, it's and a I would stressful love, time. I would love to think that by the time you're listening to this, we do have results that we're happy with. I'd love to manifest that energy into the yeah. world. So let's just hope. Yeah. I mean, it will definitely be different by the time you're listening. To Certainly. This, but hopefully we'll have an official result. Yeah. Um, so we're we're stressed. But we're coping, sort of. <laughs> this, I feel like our topic this week is a good way to cope. Yeah, I hope you so. Know? Yeah. I hope so. Um, well, before we get to that, would you like a drink update? I would love one. I'm having some white wine because I deserve it. It's accurate. Love that for you. I'm drinking some water. Because I, you deserve it. I do. <laughs> I do deserve it. We all should stay hydrated at a stressful time like this. Indeed. I I messaged my uh, team at work. Like, after I had gotten off work, I popped in and messaged to the people who work later than me. And I was just like, hope you're okay. Stay hydrated. Um, you know, like, be okay. Mm -hmm. um, on the day of the election. And a friend wrote back. He was like, heart emoji. And then he was like, I took a Xanax. <laughs> so that's where we are here in America, <laughs> if you're interested. Um, but let's talk about something a little better. Yes. Let's talk about Dr. Seuss. I'm very excited about this. Yeah. One of my favorite authors. I'm sure there'll be some nostalgia up in here. Yes, for sure. Um, so Theodore Seuss Geisel um, is born on March 2nd, 1904 in Springfield, Massachusetts. His father, Theodore Robert Geisel, uh, manages the family's brewery. Huh. Um, but then that, of course, closes during Prohibition. Right. So after the brewery closes, he actually becomes the uh, supervisor of Springfield's public park system. Love that. Yeah, which we'll touch on again in a minute. But... How Leslie Nope of him. Yes, very much. Um, his mother is named Henrietta Geisel, and her uh, maiden name is Seuss. Although it's pronounced, the like German pronunciation is one that I cannot do. The, Seuss is like the America Americanized pronunciation of it. Sure, but I can't. I'm not gonna try. Um, but of course, the family is of German descent, so mm -hmm. uh, they both have German last names. Um, there wasn't a ton about his, like, childhood. Uh, what I did find was from DrSeussArt.com that actually had a lot of cool, like, tidbits and biography. Um, 
I just recommend exploring the website because there's some cool stuff on there. But uh, there's like a lot of anecdotal biography information in there. So I got a good bit from that. Cool. Um, so by the time, um, by the way, I'm going to call uh, Dr. Seuss Ted through most of this because that's what people generally called him in his life. Love that. Um, so by the time Ted's father is appointed to the position uh, supervising the parks board um, in 1909, the family's already pretty prominent in town. Um, and in his supervision is a huge 500-acre park called Forest Park. So inside Forest Park or within Forest Park is the Springfield Zoo. Oh, my God. So uh, Ted's father takes him there often, and he gets to see, like, the behind the scenes and that sort of thing. I love that. And sometimes when his father's working, Ted will go with his mother and his sister, Marnie, um, and he would he would draw all the animals. And that's where, like, that sort of art style comes from. Oh, I love that. And from DrSeussArt.com, I learned that his mother would let him, like, draw the the caricatures of the animals, like, on the plaster walls in his bedroom. Oh, this is the best. Yeah, it's very cool. So his family is very supportive of his, like, artistic personality. And... That's fantastic. Yeah. This is also a great plot for a movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd have to find out more about his childhood because there's really not a ton. But, right. But like I that mean, he little does have... tidbit alone is like a strong premise. Yeah. You know? He does have a biography. I just haven't read that specifically. I've read bits of it, but I don't know what it entails about like his early life. Mm-hmm. But at age 18, Ted leaves home to attend Dartmouth College, which is a massive part of his life. Um, he... Got interested in Dartmouth after taking a trip there with 16 other graduates of Springfield Central High School. And their English teacher had recently graduated from Dartmouth and had encouraged this group of them to attend. So huh. they all basically end up going there together. Oh, that's interesting. Um, at Dartmouth, he joins the Sigma Phi Epsilon fraternity. And he begins writing for the humor magazine called the Dartmouth Jack-O-Lantern. That's a great name for a I agree. It's great. Um, And he eventually becomes editor-in-chief. But then in April of his senior year of college, he is caught with like nine or ten friends in his room sharing a pint of gin, which, (gasps) of course, is not legal because it's the early years of prohibition at this point. Scandal. So um, as punishment, he's removed as editor-in-chief. That's a bummer. However, (laughs) in the spring 1925 edition of the Jack-O-Lantern, suddenly there are a lot of cartoons by new artists with the names like Al Burbank and Thomas Mott Osborne and D.G. Rossetti, T. Seuss, and... Sometimes just Seuss. Oh my God, that's great! So it sort of it really created his pen name. That's awesome. Yeah. So it all Ted, worked out in the end. It was, yeah, it did. Um, I mean, it really worked out for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Ted graduates from Dartmouth in 1925 and enters Lincoln College in Oxford. 
um, with the intention of getting a doctorate of philosophy in English literature. Um, but there is where he meets Helen Palmer, who encourages him to give up on becoming an English teacher, which was his ultimate goal, um, and instead to pursue a career in drawing. Huh. He's so good at it. So he actually leaves Oxford without a degree, and he returns to the U.S. in February of 1927. And this is when he starts submitting writings and drawings to lots of different magazines and book publishers and ad agencies. Got to get the brand out there. Yeah, totally. Um, and then July 16th, 1927, finally, he sells something. Huzzah! And his first published cartoon appears on that date in the Saturday Evening Post. It was purchased for $25. (laughs) And now that he has sold his first cartoon, he decides, I'm officially going to move to New York. So he moves to New York. And there he shares an apartment with a friend from Dartmouth named John C. Rose. Rose happens to know another Dartmouth alum who sells advertising for the humor magazine Judge. And he ends up arranging an interview for Ted there. Nice. Um, The editor, Norman Anthony, offers Ted a job as a writer and illustrator. And Norman Anthony at the time is, like, very well known for, like, discovering talent. Ah, okay. You know what I mean? Yes. So on October 22nd, 1927... His first cartoon for Judge is published. And now that he is gainfully employed, he finally feels financially stable enough to marry Helen Palmer. Love that for him. And they're married on November 29th, 1927. I'm loving this dude's life. It's so calming so far. Well, we're not to the war yet. I know, but like normally... We get We've these had people several tragedies by this point. Well, and also it's just like even people who have wonderful and successful lights often have fraught childhoods or yeah. like young adult lives. And n- normally we're at this point and I'm just stressed for these people. But so far it's just like, oh, that's great. Good for you, man. You got married. <laughs> Things work out sometimes. Oh, it's pleasant. Yeah. yeah. So about six months after he starts working at Judge. Uh, His first work, signed as Dr. Seuss, is published there. Ah. And then in 1928, um, he publishes a cartoon for Flit Bug Spray. And there's like a catchphrase in it that says, Quick, Henry, the flit. And this becomes super popular and like becomes a big part of the American vernacular. Um, and eventually it leads to him having a 17-year flit advertising campaign, like, surrounding all of this. Oh, my gosh. Um, with Standard Oil of New Jersey. Wow. So he starts gaining a lot of money from this. He the All the money that he earns and all of the magazine submissions and stuff that he gets out after this becomes, makes him basically one of the wealthiest and most successful people among his like Dartmouth friends wow um and he and helen start hanging out with sort of the upper crust of society and become very popular and they have no children and like all of this disposable income so they just travel a lot love that for them 
And by 1936, they've traveled to over 30 countries. Good for them. That's what I would do if I had that money and no kids. Totally. Just go around. Yeah, you got all this disposable income and like the late 20s and early 30s. What else are you going to do? Have fun. (laughs) Yeah. That's what they did back then. (laughs) Yes. That's what led us to where we are now, ultimately. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, Anyway. Um, So, of course, he starts getting more advertising work um including other standard standard oil products um as well as companies like the ford motor company and nbc radio network and holly sugar wow so he's getting pretty big in terms of advertising he also gets a lot of editorial cartoons published in places like vanity fair and life and red book and liberty like major magazines yeah big names But his first time being published in a book comes in 1931. And I'm about to say a lot of sentences that feel, um, and a lot of words that feel weird. So just (laughs) hang with me for a second. Okay. Viking Press publishes a book of children's sayings, which Ted illustrates. Uh Uh-huh. And it is called mm, Boners. Excellent. Children's sayings. Great. It tops the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list. And then there's a sequel called More Boners. <laughs> we just did anything back then. So oh. I really f- feel like I missed an opportunity with the intro. I probably could have led with that. <laughs> but I, I mean, just felt like I... Just- do anything and call anything whatever back then, huh? I we don't just, know we, why it we was just, called that. Just really do it. I didn't look into why it was called that, but um, there you can see the cover of the book. Um, if you search very carefully, I would look in his Wikipedia page at the link instead of like just doing a Google search because that could be rough. <laughs> Um, but it, it is linked from like his Wikipedia entry, so okay. you can look at it. Um, is that another word for like a goof? I like guess goofers? that's you know? the only thing I can think of, but I have be, never right? heard it used as such. So when I read that, I was like, yikes, that is so funny. So that's one thing about him. Um, <laughs> That certainly did happen. Indeed. Shall, shall we move on from I'd love Boners, it. the children's saying book? In, in 1936, Ted and his wife are returning from an ocean voyage to Europe when the rhythm of the ship's engines inspires the poem that becomes his first children's book entitled and to think that i saw it on mulberry street oh lovely and mulberry street is actually a street in springfield near his childhood home that makes sense that was what that was inspired by um and then i read this quote it says based on geisel's varied accounts the book was rejected by between 20 and 43 (laughs) publishers and according to geisel he was walking home to burn the manuscript when a chance encounter with an old dartmouth classmate led to its publication by vanguard press wow 
So those Dartmouth contacts are really coming through I mean, through it's, his life is built on them currently. 100% it is. Um, so before the time when the U.S. enters World War II, Ted has written four books, um, including The 500 Hats of Bartholomew Cubbins, uh, The King's Stilts, and The Seven Lady Godivas, which are both written in prose, which is not really normal for him. Huh. Um, and then in 1940, he published or he writes Horton Hatches the Egg, um, which was poetry, not prose. Uh-huh. So, 1941, Ted is troubled by the political state of America, much like As we all are. Any at this moment. good logical person would have been and currently is. Can relate. Can relate. Um, he shows one of his unpublished political cartoons to a friend of his named Virginia Scholes, I think is how you pronounce that name, mm-hmm. um, who is working at a left-leaning tabloid newspaper called PM. Um, and the editor loves it. And makes Ted the paper's editorial cartoonist. And they print his first political cartoon on January 30th, 1941. And then Ted does not write another children's book for seven years. Because Because he gets political. The war. (laughs) During his time at PM, he draws over 400 political cartoons. Uh, If you have never seen Dr. Seuss's political cartoons, look them up. They're fantastic. They're amazing. And it's very, like, um, weird as a person who who only, like most of us probably, only saw his drawings in the context of our children's books to then see that style. It's in the exact cartoons. same art style, like, but very it's... very odd. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is really weird because it's the exact same art style. Yeah. Um, so Ted is a liberal Democrat. Uh, a strong supporter of FDR and the New Deal. Um, he is very opposed to fascism. because Good. Because who knew? Being anti-fascist is just a way to be. It's not an organized movement. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> um, and he urges action against fascism both before and after World War II. Good for him. Now, here's a not-so-great point. Uh, um, there's always got to be one. Yeah. Well, I mean, keep in mind, he is a product of his time, so he can't be perfect. Um, he supports the internment of the Japanese-Americans yeah. during World War II. Yeah. Um, I didn't put the quote in here about it because it's bad. It's, uh-huh. not, it's not a good look. However, after the war, he seems to have a change of heart, um, and he actually uses the book Horton Hears a Who as an allegory for American post-war occupation in Japan. Huh. Um, he also dedicates the book to a Japanese friend, although there's still criticism of it, like, um, like this one... critic called it said that it had a sense of american chauvinism um and it doesn't actually mention like the atomic bombings of hiroshima and nagasaki which 
I mean, it's a kid's book, so right. sure. But um, there are definitely still problems uh, with it, but right. in terms of using it as an allegory right? Um, for that. But he definitely started leaning more in the right direction after the war. That's good. Which is more than you could say for some people. Yes, it's still that's not true. Great. Yeah. But let's talk more about his time uh, during the war, his, yes. his role in the war. So... Uh, in 1942, he works drawing posters for the Treasury Department and the War Production Board. And then some some said in 1942, some said like early 1943. But when he was about 38, uh, he joins the army as a captain attached to Frank Capra's wartime documentary filmmaking unit. Ah, yes. Okay. So he's commander of the animation department of the first motion picture unit of the United States Army Air Forces. Wow. Huh. That is, that alone is fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that little bit of history that that exists. Yes. Totally so interesting. <laughs> that is true. Um. So while he's working in this unit, he writes films and directs scripts that are, quote, focusing on GI morals and morale. Sure. So it's a lot of propaganda, basically. Um, Films that he writes include Your Job in Germany, which was a 1945 propaganda film about peace in Europe after World War II. Um, Our Job in Japan is another one that he wrote. And the Private Snafu series, which were a series of training films for the army. Um, our job in Japan actually becomes the basis for a commercially released film called Design for Death, which is a study of Japanese culture um, that ends up winning the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. Huh. Um, and <laughs> Gerald McBoing Boing, which is an interesting name, Great name. Uh, is based on an original story by Ted that also wins an Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film. That's incredible. Yeah, so it's, like, weird because it's, like, propaganda, but also, like, impressive. Like, Yeah, that is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Huh? But here we are. Um, This was something I found interesting, and I'm just going to read the whole quote. Okay. Um. I believe that... Oh, yeah, I got this one from the um, Dr. Seuss art website as well. Mm -hmm. So, in connection with his work, he shipped out to Europe in the fall of 1944. And on December 16th, at General Omar Bradley's headquarters in Luxembourg, he ran into PM, the magazine, uh, PM's former editor, Ralph Ingersoll, who is who is now a lieutenant colonel in army intelligence. Ingersoll wanted to show Ted quote some fighting in a quote quiet sector and sent him off with a military police escort across the border to Bastogne Bastogne I don't know how mm. to say it. That night 250,000 German troops attacked American-held positions in the Belgian countryside surrounding the pivotal crossroads town of Bastogne. I still can't say it. It was the beginning of the month-long Battle of the Bulge. Oh, my God. And then it, it went on to say that, like, this guy 
um, started looking for Ted's name on like the lists of people who were missing. And then they run into each other like years later, someone else in this guy, somewhere else in this guy says to Ted, oh, thank God, I thought I'd killed you or something like that. <laughs> that is wild. But from but, him some fighting in a quiet sector and then a massive battle breaks out. Yeah. And then he said something, I think, either in his biography or to an interviewer or something later where he was like, you know, I didn't know it was going to be the Battle of the Bulge. And actually, I ended up arriving at a time where it kind of saved me like because of the time of day that i got there i like missed it basically is wild i know isn't it so that morning he rolled up and then that night yeah (laughs) yeah basically he was like able to avoid it because he got there in the morning instead of it like right before the (laughs) right when the fighting started oh my god so then after the war i thought you were gonna do it i thought you were gonna do the hamilton <laughs> I I paused because I thought maybe she'd hit that. But now uh, I am in my a- head. After I, the war, can I tell you I did do it in my head, but my <laughs> processing is so slow right now that I didn't realize I was doing it until you said I thought you were gonna do it. Okay, I got you. Do you want Do you want to give it another one? Should we Should we no, roll it back? I think let's just keep pushing on. Okay, okay, okay. So after I the went war, back to New York. <laughs> Ted and Helen actually moved to La Jolla, California. Um, it would have made sense, though, because he lived in New York, but he didn't go back to New York. Right. Um, he went to California, um, where Ted starts writing children's books again. Cool. And then something very important happens in all of our history, not just <laughs> Ted's. In 1954, Life magazine publishes a report on illiteracy among school children. Which comes to the conclusion that children are having trouble learning to read because they're bored with their books, basically. Valid. So, the director of the education division at Hofton Mifflin, Hofton, I think is how you pronounce it, publishing, uh, his name is William Ellsworth Spaulding. He compiles a list of 348 words that he feels are important for first graders to learn and recognize. Sight words. Basically. In my, in, my ta- in my teacher brain. Exactly. He asks Ted to cut the list down to 250 words and write a book using only those words. It's it's literally genius. Like it's, and then, that is such a good idea. Yeah. And then in 1957, he publishes this book called The Cat in the Hat, which uses 236 of the words given to him. And it's literally all just sight words. It's it's great. It's great. <laughs> and he crafts the story in something called anapestic tetrameter, <laughs> which is a specific cadence that is easy for young readers to grasp. That's so funny that it's so easy for young readers to grasp, but so difficult to say out loud. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so he basically reinvents the way that children learn to read i learned to read because of the way that he crafted this Mm -hmm. book and and some people here i'm gonna have a small teacher rant um have take issue with some of his writing because he uses a lot of nonsense words where he'll just make up words so that they'll rhyme and they're all made up things but when you're teaching phonics and you're just trying to teach kids how to make sounds Mm -hmm. 
who cares? <laughs> like, well, there's a it's useful. Point, yes, there's a certain point where you need them to know that those are nonsense words and they're not real words. But for early readers, it's it's very useful because you're also teaching them rhyme. Yes. Yeah. And I think, being a an English major, <laughs> I'm going to go on an English major rant. <laughs> okay. It teaches them that language is entirely made up and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So here's an example I'll give you about what how I feel about children learning words, speech, and reading. Mm-hmm. I watch the YouTuber Colleen Ballinger. This yes. doesn't sound like it's relevant, but it is. Yes, she I know, has I know a where kid, this is going. She has a kid who's about to turn two. And in her videos, she includes a lot of him and the words that he uses for things. So, like, he doesn't say the word car. He calls it a dar-dar. Mm-hmm. Or instead of saying water, he'll just go blah, 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 And she said in one of her videos that, like, some people will judge her for not teaching him the real words. But she isn't not teaching him. If he says, blah, 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 she goes, yeah, water. He knows the words. He can still recognize it. But she's teaching him, like, it's okay as long as you know what that means. And then we'll get there. Because yeah. it's well, all made up anyway. As yeah. long as you recognize it. He he will start saying words. Of course. And she said that some of her other mother friends were like, or parent friends were like, don't just enjoy the time where he's making them up because it's so cute and like it's sweet and you'll miss those words when they're gone mm-hmm. uh, but but it's true we make up our own language all the time mm-hmm. language is living and constantly changing so if we want something to be a word it is a, it's word. a word yeah so that's my english major right <laughs> yes i'm with you anyway cat in the hat so <laughs> dr seuss is a perfect topic for us to specifically (laughs) yes so using this model like this type of book Mm -hmm. um ted his wife helen and uh phyllis surf i think is how you say her name uh who is the wife of the random house president um the three of them go on to found beginner books at random house which is where his other children children's books are published Mm mm-hmm um, in 1956, Dartmouth awards Ted with an honorary doctorate. And this quote says, finally legitimizing the doctor in his pen name. <laughs> I love that. That's, That's so love. good. Now, it's going to get sad for oh, a minute. No. Um, Helen, his wife, has a lot of trouble with sickness for about 13 years. I didn't find more information than that. Um, and on October 23rd, 1967, she dies by suicide with an overdose of barbiturates. Ugh, that's really sad. Yeah, it is really sad. She she was very much struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were married for 40 years and he loved her very much. Yeah. Um, but he did move on. And on June 21st, 1968, he marries a woman named Audrey Dimond. I think that's how you say her last name. Mm-hmm. Um, who also proves to be a very good partner to him mm-hmm. as well. So it's sad, but. Yeah, it is very sad. Um, so 
here's something I liked. Um, one of Ted's children's books is called Marvin K. Mooney, Will You Please Go Now? Uh-huh. Some of you may have read it. Um, and before, just before the end of the Watergate scandal with President Nixon, uh-huh. he turns it into a polemic sh- he turns this book into a polemic about Nixon, <laughs> um, replacing the name of the main character everywhere with Richard M. Nixon or Richard Nixon. And it's called Richard M. Nixon. Will you please go now? <laughs> and it gets published by like major newspapers. <laughs> That's so much. Which is, I think, really excellent. Oh, let's, can we do that with Donald Trump now, please? He doesn't deserve it's true. anything Will like this. Will you please go now? Will you please that go is now? So I mean, we could, honestly, if someone wants to write that. So funny. I love it. It's that. not hard. You just replace the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1980, Ted receives an honorary Doctor of Human Letters from Whittier College, as well as the Laura Ingalls Wilder Medal um, from the Professional Children's Librarians. I feel like any word, like award that children's librarians gives out is the highest award in the nation. <laughs> Big honor. Huge yes. honor. In 1984, he wins a special Pul- Pulitzer Prize. I never know how to say that. Pulitzer? Pulitzer. Pulitzer. I don't know either. I usually say Pulitzer. I do too. Um, for his contribution, sorry, for his quote, contribution over nearly half a century to the education and enjoyment of America's children and their parents. Oh, I love so that. This is a special award for Dr. Seuss. That's fantastic. And then on September 24th, 1991, Ted dies of cancer in his home in La Jolla, California at age 87. Mm. And his ashes are scattered in the Pacific Ocean. Love that. Um, just a couple more things about him and his sort of honors and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, after his death. On December 1st, 1995, the University of California, San Diego, um, named their university library building after um, him and his wife. They call it the Geisel Library in honor of Ted and Audrey. Um, for all the contributions that they make to the library. In 2002, the Dr. Seuss National Memorial Sculpture Garden is opened in Springfield, um, featuring sculptures of Geisel and many of his characters. Oh, I love that. And then, of course, there's a Seuss land in uh, Universal Studios, which I didn't put in here, but it's great. It's so cool. It's so cool. Um, in 2004, the U.S. Children's Librarians established the annual Theodore Seuss Geisel Award to recognize the most distinguished American book for beginning readers published in English in the United States during the preceding year. Uh-huh. Sure. Which is a lot, but it makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, That's how book awards work. Yeah, <laughs> their, exactly. their Their descriptions are like that. Yeah, Totally. On April 4th, 2012, the Dartmouth Medical School is renamed the Audrey and Theodore Geisel School of Medicine um, in honor of their generosity to the college. That's awesome. Um, His honors include two Academy Awards. That's so wild. (laughs) Two Emmy Awards. 
a Peabody Award, of course, the Laura Ingalls Wilder Medal, the Inkpot Award, which is given out by Comic-Con, I think. Oh. Um, like an, it's like an illustrator's award. Cool. Um, and, of course, the Pul- Pulitzer Prize. Uh-huh. Um, he has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Excellent. So I just found this fact interesting. Um, you know how a lot of people use the line from Horton Hears a Who, a person's a person no matter how small to promote like the pro-life movement Uh it's like common well it turns out that geisel and later when she's widowed audrey both very much object to this (laughs) obviously he's a lifelong liberal Uh like clearly he objects to it yes um Audrey's attorney eventually gets involved putting out statements where he says she doesn't like people to hijack Dr. Seuss characters or material to front their own points of view, mm-hmm. which is fair. Yes. Um, well, and also in, in ways that aggressively go against the point what of he view. believes. Well, and it's not just like what he believed because people take author stuff out of context all the time. But like, that's not why he wrote that. Right. You know? (laughs) And also, she's right, though. Like, bending that sort of thing to just fit your beliefs is, like, not cool in general. And in the 80s, um, he actually threatened to sue an anti-abortion group for their use of the phrase on their stationery. But they removed it, so... Well, yes. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so... Later on, though, after his death, Audrey does ends up giving support to Planned Parenthood. Although they never like publicly talk about it, but she supports them financially. Sure. So, yeah. You know. Um, and she controlled his estate up until her death in I think two thousand eighteen. Oh wow! Let, I can't remember. Let me double check. I might be remembering that wrong. Audrey Geisel. Yeah, 2018. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, of course, a lot of his books express his political and social views, like The Lorax, which is, of course, about environmentalism um, and anti-consumerism. The Sneetches, mm-hmm. which is all about racism, and was one of my favorite stories growing up. Yes, you loved the Snarbelly Sneetches. You would ask well, for it all the time. We had the the book that was like Sneetches, the Sneetches and other stories or something like that. Uh-huh. I can't the big one, the big one. Yeah, it was like a big yellow book, and I always like I wanted that to be like my bedtime story, but the stories were long, so I only ever got them like every once in a while, you mm-hmm. know, like on a weekend or something. I loved the Sneetches. Um, others are the Butter Battle book about the arms race. <laughs> yeah. Yurtle, Yurtle the Turtle about Adolf Hitler and anti-authoritarianism. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, of course, Aww. about criticizing materialism and consumerism around Christmas. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Horton Hears a Hue. Uh, a Hue? Wow. <laughs> Horton Hears a Who. Uh-huh. God. Um, about anti-isolationalism and internationalism. Mm-hmm. That's a long word. Mm-hmm. Here's a quote I like, and this will be the last one I use. Also from the um, Dr. Seuss art website. Late in life, 
while working with his biographers, Judith and Neil Morgan, Ted reminisced about the verbal exchange between Dartmouth buddies that accompanied their undergrad handshake. When I went to college, it was a campy thing to say, oh, the places you'll go, the people you'll meet. That Roaring Twenties handshake and the words that defined it sent Ted on his way to a robust and rewarding career. In 1990, he chose those same words for his parting book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Oh, that's so sweet. It was a final and fitting tribute to the Dartmouth men who befriended him early on and were a source of encouragement his entire life. I love that. I teared up reading it. I also teared up hearing it because it's (laughs) an emotional time. (laughs) It's an emotional time we're all in. But also too emotionally vulnerable for this. I teared up through most of the end of that because I just, the things that he has done for education are incredible. Like there is no better day of the year at an elementary school than Dr. Seuss Day. Dr. Seuss Day. It's literally the most, like, it's more fun than Christmas in an elementary school. It's so- I loved it when I was a kid. Joyous to see. I don't know if people in other countries have this. Probably not. It's probably an American thing because he's an American author. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what we're talking about- when we were in elementary school, and I don't even know if it's all over America that they do this. I know it's usually national, but maybe not all schools so, did do it. it. I think so, most elementary schools do it. Yeah, but you know, not everybody listening m- might have had this happen to them. Right. So if you don't know what we're talking about, there is a day called Dr. Seuss Day, I think it's and when his we birthday, yeah, I'm pretty sure. When we were in elementary school, that day meant that it was basically like a readathon. All day long. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have to be Dr. Seuss. Books, yeah, it is but his birthday. I checked. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, but I don't know. In our school, we would always, it would also always be like a pajama day. And you could bring in like sleeping bags and pillows. You come in your pajamas and we'd all like sit under our desks and our sleeping bags mm-hmm. and like make it really cozy. And we well, would just and, like, sit and read all day long. The lower elementary teachers usually dress up. In Dr. Sometimes, Seuss yeah. clothes. Like, it's just, it, it is just a day, it's a day to celebrate reading. And I love that. And it's so fun. It's so fun. It's the it's most fun so day. much fun. Plus, we got to go to school in our PJs usually, <laughs> which was really cool. Yeah, it was really fun. I was thinking about that the whole time I was, like, reading and taking notes. I was like, oh, remember Dr. Seuss Day? It was mm. so much fun. It was the best time. Um, yeah, so that's Dr. Seuss. I love him. That's wonderful. Me too. Should we do an autofill real quick? Yes. Okay. Was Dr. Seuss Christian? Christian. <laughs> um, I was trying sorry. to think I'm if so I remembered tired. the answer, but then you did that. And it just completely, I was like thinking, I was like, did we say that? I can't remember. No, and my brain didn't is processing slowly. So I was already like, oh, and then you went, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> we didn't say that. Um, I think technically he was raised by Christian parents, but it wasn't like a big part of his life. Right. I think the reason this is searched a lot is because people have been like trying to figure out if his books have Christian messages since oh, like sure. the beginning of time. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. They've been trying to like bend it to that. So I think that's why it's Googled frequently. Sure. That makes sense. Um, was Dr. Seuss a real doctor? Um, he was an honorary doctor. Uh-huh. So. Which is a real doctor. That counts. Just not a doctor Well, I guess it depends. Yeah, I was going to say, it depends on your definition of doctor. Yeah. If you're what thinking if he of was... a medical doctor, no. <laughs> what if, if he was a of... medical doctor this whole time? And he was like, also, I write fun children's books that teach everybody how to read. <laughs> and I do brain surgery also. Like... <laughs> 
What if Dr. Seuss was your surgeon? That would be weird. That would be wild. Um, was Dr. Seuss married? Yes, yes, twice. Religious? I don't know. Probably not. Who's to say? Um, it wasn't big enough for it to be in anything I read about him, so. I bet his biography says something about it. Maybe. Just because um, most do. Was Dr. Seuss a real person? <laughs> Every time, without fail, someone wants to know if a real historical person is real. A real historical person. <laughs> Every time. Yeah, he was a real man. Uh-huh. He's a real man. And it was also his real name. Kind it of. Was, like, it was part of his name. Yeah. It, yes. You know? It's a pen name, but it's not a completely made, made up. up pen name. Right. Was Dr. Seuss an environmentalist? Yes. I mean, yeah, read, read. Have you Lorax. read the Lorax? Um, <laughs> switch to is Dr. Seuss. Um, someone really wants to know, is Dr. Seuss Disney? Which I don't understand the question. I think it's, is it is any of his work owned by owned Disney? Owned by Disney, but that's not what it says. No, it's not. <laughs> it says, is Dr. Seuss Disney? Is Dr. Seuss Disney? Um, and we'll finish with these two paired together. Okay. Um, is Dr. Seuss dead? Is Dr. Seuss alive? <laughs> <sighs> back to back, baby. Back to back champs. Right there on the internet. Oh boy. Jeez. That was a good one, sis. Thanks. I just, you know, I was thinking about Dr. Seuss the other day because I watched The Grinch naturally. Um, and I thought, we should do an episode on Dr. Seuss. Yes. Much needed lighter episode. Well, mostly lighter. Very, Some of it was much a few points that were heavy. But it was more joyful in general. That's true. That's Most people's enough. lives have a few points that are heavy, but... Well, yeah, that's called being a human yes, person. Yes, <laughs> this one was much more pleasant. Certainly lighter than most episodes I do. I'll give you that. <laughs> yes, that's true. We sort of uh, traded spaces, if you will, this last week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These last couple like weeks. Like the classic TLC show, We yes, Traded indeed. Spaces. You remember that show? I loved that show. Mm-hmm. In the Trading Spaces, Boys vs. Girls on Discovery Kids. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> Like, if you remember, um, <laughs> like and subscribe. <laughs> like, if you remember, um, anyway, here we are. We've sufficiently lost our minds. Uh huh. Um, how to And all. yeah, um, I don't know what's gonna happen next time around. I don't know mm. where we'll be. Yep. What will be happening. Um, but you know, we'll have a new episode at some point. What it's about, who's to say? Yep. Uh, but if any of you listeners have questions or comments or suggestions for other topics or anything like that, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at RTTPod. Um, if you want to throw us a rating and review wherever you're listening to the podcast, that would be really amazing. Um, what am I forgetting? Oh, Facebook. You can find us on Facebook also if you search the name of the podcast. It's not very exciting over there. We prefer Twitter. Yes. Uh, Facebook is kind of dead to me right now. Yep. But Valid. Sometimes it's a necessary evil. Uh-huh. Uh, if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb, and I'm currently freaking out about the election. So don't follow if you're not interested in that. <laughs> I'm at ACW Nerdfighter, and we're in a similar space over on yeah. my Twitter as well. Well, uh... I don't know where we'll be next time, but... Uh, Nor do I. 
Until that next time, remember that time. <laughs>